In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. There's a scene in the Gospel of Mark which we can use to begin this time of prayer with our Lord. And in it, Jesus is in the midst of an exchange with the Sadducees, and he's having a kind of a theological discussion with them. And then in um, chapter 12, we read this, which happens during this, this scene, this exchange. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So our Lord Jesus Christ, you Lord Jesus Christ, who are the same yesterday, today, now and forever, who's with us in this time of prayer, you answer this important question, which commandment is the first of all, with the famous Shema of the Torah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The primacy of God in our heart, the primacy of God in our will, the primacy of God in our life is is reinforced and spelled out for us here in this commandment, the first commandment, the greatest commandment of the law. And like all the laws that God has for us, God is love, and therefore he wants nothing but our good. Therefore, all the laws that God gives us are important for us to do. They're things that we ought to do. They're things that are truly good for us. And the flip side of this commandment, in addition to being something that is good for us, something that we should do, is that it reveals how good God is in himself. To be loved in this way with everything we have, with all our mind, all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, to be loved in this way with this totality is something that God deserves because of who God is and what God is like. And these, these two go together, our duty to love God, our need to love God, reveals at the same time God's own intrinsic goodness. God's worthy of being loved this way. It's fitting that he is loved this way. Our love for God and God's goodness, God's lovability, are like a key and a lock. They're made for each other. And this is a very important point that God is is the only worthy object of all of our love. And if we don't love God in this way, something's missing in our life. We'll never be completely 
satisfied in our life or in our loves unless God has this pole position, unless God has this first place. And we know this love of God, this love of God as God is called adoration. And adoration is one of the basic forms of prayer and perhaps is one of the more neglected forms of prayer. Petition certainly for most of us takes most of our prayer when we think about how we deal with God. We're very quick to go to God with our needs. We're very quick to make our desires and our problems known to God so that he can do something about it, so that he can help us. Thanksgiving also, I think for many of us, is is a common way of praying. Perhaps it's not as, as frequent as our prayer of petition to God. But when good things happen, when we succeed in something, when God has answered our prayers in some way, it's natural for us to to pray with that prayer of thanksgiving, to thank God for all of his gifts. Contrition is also one that perhaps is a little bit neglected that we can work on to be quick about telling God that we're sorry for our sins, to be quick in recognizing our sinfulness and turning it over to our Lord with an act of contrition, an act of of sorrow. But perhaps the most important prayer form of prayer and the one that's most neglected is precisely adoration. To love God as God, to recognize that God deserves all of our love, to bow down before him as God, to adore him. In the section on prayer, the the fourth and final section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this importance of adoration is underlined. This is from point 2628 of the Catechism. Adoration is the first attitude of man acknowledging that he is a creature before his creator. It exalts the greatness of the Lord who made us and the almighty power of the Savior who sets us free from evil. Adoration is homage of the Spirit to the King of glory, respectful silence in the presence of the ever greater God. Adoration of the thrice holy and sovereign God of love blends with humility and gives assurance to our supplications. Respectful silence in the presence of the ever greater God. And that, that, um, adjective there, ever greater, the ever greater God, was one of the mottos for the prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola, Deus Semper Maior, God is always greater. I think he got it originally from St. Augustine. And it's a helpful thought for our prayer, for our adoration. God is always greater, Deus Semper Maior, God is greater than anything we can come across in this life. God is greater than anything we can imagine, than anything we can grasp. Another important phrase of St. Augustine is that if you can grasp it, it's not God. If you can understand it or comprehend it totally, it's not God. And these ideas, these descriptions of God, that God is always greater, that God can't be comprehended by us, Underline precisely God's radical holiness, his otherness, his radical transcendence. And this is important for us to 
realize why God deserves this first place. And to realize that we've been made to love, to love God. And if we don't love God as God, if we don't put him in that first place, if we don't get glimpses of his radical power, of his radical goodness, of his infinite love, then we're lacking and, and something's missing in our spiritual life. Something's missing in our life as such. This is what we're made for. We're made to love God and to be loved by him. So, Lord Jesus, you who are God, God made man, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What a wonderful phrase of our Lord at the Last Supper. How can you say, Philip, show us the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God made visible. And Jesus tells us, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind, and with all your strength. So we ask you, Lord, give us a greater sense of the holiness of the Trinity, of the holiness of God the Father, of you, God the Son, of God the Holy Spirit, so that we can adore. And in adoring, we can find we can find a great delight in loving God as such, a great privilege of being able to have this contact with God in our prayer. The Old Testament helps us a lot with this idea of God's holiness, God's transcendence, God as the object of adoration. In the story of Moses, we have this famous scene of Moses coming across the burning bush and having a very special encounter with God. We read in the third chapter of Exodus, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. The image of the, of the burning bush is, is an image of the inner life of God. That God is like a bush that is burning and therefore giving off heat and light, spreading warmth and energy around him. This great source of, of love and being and truth and goodness. And yet it's not consumed. Persons of the Trinity, God the Father is constantly generating God the Son with a great love and a great energy and God the Son is eternally loving God the Father back and being generated by God the Father and the love between the Father and the Son is constantly spirating the Holy Spirit and there's this wonderful there's this wonderful burning fire of love between the persons of the Trinity and it's eternal it's not consumed and then in creating us he shares that fire he shares that love, that being, that beatitude, the happiness and holiness of God with creation. Moses, seeing this seeing this sign, this miracle, gets curious. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, And he said, here I am. What a wonderful moment to be called 
by name, by God. Moses, Moses. And Moses answers, here I am. The same thing happened to the prophet Isaiah. Ego te vocavi, nomine tuo, meus est tuo. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And the same thing happens even in a more intimate way to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says to each one of us, come follow me. And he calls us by name. He calls us by name. He knows us so well. He's our friend and our master and our Lord. And we, like Moses, Lord, we want to, we want to tell you, here I am. We want to hear you call our name and we want to respond, here I am, Lord, for you have called me. Italian is a wonderful language and, uh, for many reasons. And there's a great phrase in Italian which basically translates, here I am in English. And it's, ecco mi qua. And it's got this sense of, behold, here I am. Ecco mi qua. It's like the Latin that we just quoted from the, from the Vulgate and the prophet, ecce ego qui vocasti me. That ecce in, uh, in Latin is, look, behold, here I am, ecce ego. And Italian, which in many ways is just a modernized Latin, has this wonderful phrase, ecco mi qua. Look at me here. Here I am. It's a wonderful thing to do in our prayer, just to try to be fully present to our Lord to eliminate distractions, to eliminate worries which divide our attention, to recollect ourselves, perhaps to take some deep breaths to calm our minds and calm our bodies in the beginning of our prayer, just to present ourselves to our Lord, to make an act of the presence of God. We know that He is everywhere. He always sees us. He's always close to us. He's always with us. To realize, Lord, you are with me. And then I say, here I am, Lord. I'm with you perhaps without the need for words, just to stay in his presence. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The holiness of God. Take off your sandals. And Moses hides his face because of the radical transcendence, the radical holiness of God. He's afraid to look at him. Moses takes off his sandals. Perhaps we have to put off our phone, turn off our phone. Perhaps we have to turn off our TV. Perhaps we have to turn off our own imagination, our stream of consciousness, our internal dialogue, or internal monologue, as the case may be, so that we can look at God and listen to God, put our attention in Him. Later on in the book of Exodus, Moses asked this daring question. He asks God to see His glory. Let me see your glory, he says to God. He's asking to see God without any mediation, without any, any intermediary, to see God directly. And God says to him, 
No one sees my face and lives, so I'll let you see my back as I'm passing. And then he hides Moses in the cleft of, of the rock in this, in this cave, and the glory of God passes before Moses, but Moses can only see his back. And these images, the burning bush, taking off the sandals, Moses hiding his face, Moses not being allowed to see God's face, but only his back as the glory of God passes. They all speak to us of, of the transcendence of God, and they speak to us of something very important, which is called the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the book of wisdom tells us. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And in this context, it's not the fear that God is going to hurt us. It's not the fear that God is a threat to us. But it's just the fear of how different and awesome God is in himself. The vast difference between he who is, that name of God revealed to Moses, the vast difference between God who is being itself, who is infinite being, and we creatures who are finite, the wonderful mystery of God who is beginning without beginning. An infinite being, there's literally no end to God. There's nothing that limits God's existence, God's being. He exists outside of space and time. He's the source of this whole vast universe that we know and are awed by its, by its mysteries. He's the source and the author of all the laws of nature all the brilliant ideas of the most brilliant minds, of all the beauty that we see in nature and in art, of all the goodness and kindness that we see in so many people. It all comes from God, and he has it all in an infinitely perfect way, simply in himself. In the way St. Josemaria considers this, this wonderful goodness of God, the wonderful transcendence of God, how good God must be in himself as the source of all that is. He writes in point 432, Consider what is most beautiful and noble on earth, what pleases the mind and the other faculties, and what delights the flesh and the senses, and the world and the other worlds that shine in the night, the whole universe. Well, this, along with all the follies of the heart satisfied, is worth nothing, is nothing, and less than nothing compared with this God of mine, of yours, infinite treasure, pearl of great price, humbled, become a slave, reduced to the form of a servant in the stable where he chose to be born, in Joseph's workshop, in his passion, and in his ignominious death, and in the madness of love which is the blessed Eucharist. God, exists. God is real. God is this infinite good, the source of all goodness. And we are his creatures. And so as the Catechism says, the adoration is the first act of man recognizing that he is a creature before his creator. It's good for us to humbly adore God. It's good for us to not just to ask God for things or thank him for things or Tell him that we're sorry, but to praise him, to love him for his, for his great goodness. And this brings home to us the, the, the mystery of the incarnation. To understand 
just what Jesus did and how special it was, how important it was, just what he did by becoming one of us, just what he did by teaching us in a way that we can understand, what he did by suffering for us, especially dying for us on the cross, what he does in the Mass, what he did in the Resurrection. To understand that, we have to understand who he is. And who you are, Lord, is God. There's only one person in Jesus Christ. And the person is divine. The person is God. And so when we see Jesus on the cross, that's God on the cross. And when we see Jesus in the tabernacle, that's God in the tabernacle. And when we say that Jesus dwells with us and accompanies us throughout our spiritual life, that's God accompanying me, with me, inside of my soul. The same infinite God who's all-powerful, who's almighty, who's all-knowing, who's all-present, who created the whole world out of nothing. That God is in the tabernacle in the Blessed Sacrament. That God is on the altar during the Mass. That God comes into us when we receive communion. That God listens to us when we come, when we come to pray. That God is our Savior and our Father and our Brother and our Lord. So Lord, we ask you, help me not to lose the sense of your greatness. Your greatness which belongs to you precisely as God is divine. Because when this happens, we, we lose the sense of the transcendence of God. What we do is the love of God, it kind of falls down to become more or less one among our other loves. And we, we kind of theoretically know, yeah, this should be the most important. But really, we're just treating it as, as just one more thing we need to love and take care of among many others. And when that happens, it ceases to be something that really captures our hearts and our minds. It's not something that, that commands our full attention and that has to give meaning to everything else and has to be the reason for everything else. And has to be kind of like the prism through which we see all the other things we do, all the other things we care about. The love of God coming first and giving a kind of direction and tone to our whole life. And this happens many times because we mistake God and himself, who's totally mysterious, with our own idea of God or our own conception of God, or our own experience of God, or our own ex expectation of God. And none of that is God. God is way beyond anything we've experienced yet of him and himself. God is way beyond any idea, however orthodox or faithful it is, in himself, right? He's way beyond any idea I can ever formulate of him this side of heaven. He's much better than anything I could ever imagine or think of him. And so to love God, to adore God, we need to reflect on this mystery. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. Holy, holy, holy. That comes from the revelation of God in the book of Isaiah, the seraphim cry out, those powerful angels who are worshiping God. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. And it's what we pray right before the Eucharistic prayer, as this kind of reminder that we're entering into the presence of God. Heaven is reaching down to earth. A divine visitor 
is coming to be with us on the altar. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. And the saints help us. St. John Marie Vianney had a very special sense of of God's presence. God blessed him with many spiritual gifts. And he has this wonderful prayer about the love of God and his desire to love God. This is the cure of ours, St. John Marie Vianney. I love you, O my God, and my only desire is to love you until my last breath. I love you, O infinitely lovable God, and I prefer to die loving you rather than to live for a single moment without loving you. I love you, O my God, and I long for heaven only to know the bliss of loving you perfectly. I love you, O my God, and I only fear going to hell because there I will never experience the sweet consolation of loving you. O my God, if my tongue is not able to say at every opportunity that I love you, at least I want my heart to repeat it to you as many times as I take a breath. My God, give me the grace of suffering out of love for you, of loving you while I suffer. Give me the grace of one day breathing my last breath out of love for you, and at the same time feeling how much I love you. The closer I come to my final end, the more I beseech you to intensify and perfect my love for you. Amen. And deep down in our soul, Lord, and perhaps hopefully not so deep down, this is also our desire. This is what we're made for. The reason the first commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord our God, who is one Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, is because this is what we need. This is what we made, we're made for. This is what we'll do in heaven if we ever get there. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful line where he says, heaven is an acquired taste. So heaven is kind of like mustard that children have to learn how to like. I like to say that you shouldn't put ketchup on a hot dog if you're over seven years old. But that gets me in trouble with some people who inexplicably like ketchup on hot dogs who are much older. But in any event, the, the point is that, <laughs> the point is that seeing God, loving God, appreciating God, which we're going to do in heaven, has to be learned. It has to be learned here or it's learned uh, later in purgatory. But it has to be learned and it's easier to learn here than it is to learn in purgatory. And how do we do it? Well, in the, I think in the first place, by adoration. By letting our minds think about the mystery of God and letting that reflection on the mystery of God move us to, to adoration, to praise God for His, for His great goodness, to love God because He is this infinite good, because He's the source of all things, to bow down before God as creatures before their loving and infinite creator. We can't love what we don't know. Unless, Lord, we think about you, we think about how wonderful you are, how transcendent you are, unless we read and reflect on the mystery of God, unless we get off the phone and get on our knees, we'll never adore you. And how do we do this? We have to cut out time for it. We have to 
We have to find time just to adore. We have to make sure that, that we're doing some mental prayer every day and that perhaps part of that mental prayer every day is devoted to adoration. And it could be silent, just just receiving the gift that is God in our prayer. Just being aware that we're in God's presence and God is holy, holy, holy. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. St. John of the Cross, of course, was another incredible saint and an incredible man of prayer. Another saint blessed with, with a great experience in his prayer of, of, of God and God's closeness, a union with God. And St. John of the Cross taught this. He said, Our greatest need is to be silent before this great God with the appetite and with the tongue. For the only language he hears is the silent language of love. Our greatest need is to be silent before this great God. Be still, the psalm tells us. And know that I am God. Lord, teach me to pray like that. Teach me to know how to recollect myself. Know how to sit with you in silence. And just perhaps a wordless posture of adoration. Just wondering at the fact that you are God and you're present and you made me and you made all that is. We go to Our Lady, the mystical rose, the greatest contemplative that there ever was the greatest adorer of God. And we can we can imagine how wonderful it was for her just to hold the child Jesus in, in her arms and to adore him in silence. He was sleeping silent, and yet she knew he was God, sleeping in her arms while holding all the universe in existence, the author of all that was, of all that is, of all that ever will be, beginning without beginning, was held in her arms and he was silent. And so she just silently loved him, silently looked at him, silently rocked him in her arms. And we can do the same in our prayer, in our communion, in our presence of God, perhaps throughout the day, just to realize that God is with us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.